She's a retired police officer with federal disaster training. She's pressed into service to work 9-11 at the World Trade Center and also the TWA Flight 800 disaster. She's here to tell her experiences on the Law Enforcement Today show. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. We are thrilled to partner with Shatterproof at FHE, the world-renowned treatment program for first responders. Because, at times, helpers need help. Exclusive treatment services for first responders who may suffer from exposure to trauma, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and substance abuse. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420. 833-776-1420. That's 833-776-1420. Or online at fhehealth.com. That's fhehealth.com health.com under programs you'll find details about shatterproof joining us from arizona we have stacy goodman on the phone stacy is a retired suffolk county new york police officer with federal disaster training she was thrust into the heart of the 9-11 investigation at world trade center also twa flight 800 disaster we'll talk about that she's author of the book the dust never settles. Go to our website, stacygoodmanbook.com. Stacy, number one, thanks for your service. Number two, thanks for being guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. And one of the things that, that I love about this show is I'm a retired police, and you know the drill. We never have a platform to tell our stories. And the news media butchers what happens. And and nowadays, so much of it is led by bias. It's not even close to the truth. We don't get to hear from the people that were on scene doing these things. And people really don't have an, an idea of the impact it has on them. Secondly, and to be totally honest, you break a lot of the so-called stereotypes about law enforcement officers, which I love. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, well, when I was a police, and, and I started in 1980, we had male, female, gay, lesbian Muslim, Jewish, Hindu, we had every walk of life you can imagine in police work, and no one cared. We didn't care at all. Yeah, we teased each other, but the media make it sounds like we're, we're a very close society, and uh, we're not open to other people. So I'm so glad you're here to tell your story. You started off as a cop in uh, Suffolk County. That's in Long Island, New York, correct? Yes, I started out in, um, I was sworn in in October of 1995. And I was one of only six females that entered the academy, and only five of us graduated. And uh, we were, um, you know, divided up between the precincts. We were, you know, we were all separated. Uh, they didn't put two females in one precinct, you know, because there was so few females right. wanted to spread us out. And uh, I was sent to the uh, fourth precinct, which was Smithtown Precinct. And uh, that's where I began my training. 
Funny thing is that 1995, I don't know if it's just me, doesn't seem like that long ago. It was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, it was. So you hit the streets as a, as a young cop, and I want to use the term cop. I want people to understand that's a, a compliment from me. I'm very funny when people outside police work use that term. I, I don't like it so much. When we use it with each other, I, I prefer it. So you you were a long, yeah. young officer, and you were out in the streets doing everything the police do. Yes, I was, um, unlike some of the other people that were in my academy class, I, uh, I had no previous experience. A lot of people that were in the academy class were veterans uh, or had come from other law enforcement agencies like the NYPD. So they had plenty of experience and um, uh, uh, skills, if you will, uh, from other departments. And I was kind of like a true rookie in the sense that I had no previous experience, only my street smarts and, you know, whatever uh, experience I had from uh, past jobs. Um, And I was one of the older ones in the academy. I was 29. I actually celebrated my 30th birthday in the academy. And that was considered at the time very old to be in the academy. But, you know, I made it through the physical and the uh, the mental and the uh, educational portion, which Suffolk County was one of the toughest uh, in that in that regard. Yeah. Making it through the background investigations, no joke. I think, by the way, you're right. 30 is old in the academy. I was the exact opposite. I was 21 and I was a, a, a relative baby. But I very similar to you. I didn't come from a military background. I had no police experience. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't sure if I had the mental and physical toughness to do this job. Yeah. The interesting thing was, is I wasn't sure either. So I volunteered with the, uh, the auxiliary police to see, you know, if I would even enjoy that kind of work. Um, and I loved it a lot. And I actually, <laughs> funny thing, I actually was uh, my forte became uh, traffic control, uh, so much so that they actually, the Nassau County Police Department had, um, because we had to go, as auxiliaries, we had to go through the academy on an abbreviated, there was no real physical, it was more, you know, learning the laws and learning what you could do as a civilian, because you were still a civilian, even though you were going to be assisting the police, and you had uniforms, and we would help with a lot of traffic control, and they, they, appreciated me so much they actually had the rookies come out when we had big events like at Nassau Coliseum and they would actually assign a couple of rookies to me because I was I was so good at traffic control. It just happened to be one of my fortes. And I gotta tell you, to be totally honest, the one thing I hated the most out of police work was traffic control. Directing traffic. Nothing tested my patience like directing traffic. Yeah, most people didn't like it, and and uh, nothing personal, but mostly the guys didn't like it. They wanted to be where the real action was, and I didn't care. I'm like, well, this is what you're going to pay me to do. I'll do it. <laughs> I enjoyed, you know, dealing with people who weren't committing crimes uh, for a change. So, yeah, I, I kind of actually enjoyed it. And then you got into a federal disaster training. Before we go to break, can you explain what that was? Yes, that came about from my previous job with the Red Cross. I came into the police department with the knowledge of uh, training on or tabletop exercises to do um, to deal with plane disasters, other man-made disasters, and uh, I ended up dealing with uh, TWA Flight 800, that terrible tragedy that happened on Long Island in July of. Uh, 1996, and I ended up working with the medical examiner. Uh, I was actually pushed to the um, 
to do work at the um, Emmy's office. And that came about because Suffolk County did something very interesting when you were hired. They they actually um, had you give them your previous skills before coming into the police department. And so they knew about my previous training with the Red Cross and that I specialized in plane disasters. So my lieutenant said, oh, you're going to work at the Emmy's office because you've had this kind of training previously. And I was sent over there and um, had a lovely conversation with the medical examiner over there. One day we, uh, I had to drive him down to Mauritius where the uh, parts of the plane were being pulled out of the uh, out of the ocean, and we got to talking. And I told him how I wanted to be a medical examiner when I was younger, but I wasn't smart enough. Basically, my chemistry skills were not were not there. Right. And so he found that interesting, and we ended up hitting it off. And he got permission to have me pulled to the back of the morgue as opposed to being in front of the morgue where I was doing security with other officers. So I was sent to the back, and my uh, uh, kind of took off from there. We are going to take a short so, break. We're talking with Stacy Goodman. We return. We're going to talk about her experience investigating TWA Flight 800, then the World Trade Center. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. jobs responding to emergencies and you can only take what you can carry what do you pack good mental health may be the last thing that comes to mind but it's also critical ppe to have with you in any situation at fhe health we specialize in treating first responders unique mental health needs fhe health's 30-day program equips first responders with the tools they need to be healthy and resilient in their jobs our trauma-based therapies and cutting-edge neurotechnologies relieve symptoms like insomnia and anxiety, teach healthy coping skills, and restore brain health faster. Our integrated approach addresses psychiatric and medical issues at the same time for comprehensive healing. Peer group therapy with other first responders provides an added layer of support and connection that boosts the recovery process. Need a hand packing for the next emergency? For better mental health and peak performance, call FHE Health at 833-776-1420. Online at FHEHealth.com. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. Return our conversation with Stacy Goodman on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Stacy is a retired Suffolk County, Long Island, New York police officer with federal disaster training. She worked at the mayhem of the World Trade Center during the 9-11 terror attack. Also, TWA Flight 800. And she's authored the book, Dust Never Settles. Get more information about her, the book, at stacygoodmanbook.com. Before we went to break, Stacy, we started talking about TWA Flight 800, and I got to say this, the ME's office, the medical examiner's office, we were supposed to go see an autopsy as part of the police academy experience, and for whatever reason, that didn't happen that day. I, to this day, am relieved. I saw enough blood, guts, and gore in my lifetime that I, I hope to never see it again. As a matter of fact, I've become such a, a wimp watching TV when I, there's certain any type of certain scenes involving pain or blood or guts, I have to cover my eyes. My wife laughs at me. <laughs> yeah, well, when when you see when you see it raw on the street, 
it, it, it has one, I, I, I feel it has one emotional pulling. But when you see it in, in, the, in the Emmy's office, where it's under controlled, uh, uh, sterile lighting, and it's more of an educational and less violent uh, uh, a feel to it. If you will, um, that was that's my personal take on it. And it's a great, uh, it's never, a great way of explaining it. I I never thought of differentiating the two, and my career lasted eleven years without going into details of my career. I was severely dinged up, and still am to some degree or another when it comes to the after effects of everything you experience in police work. And I didn't go through what you went through with TWA Flight Eight Hundred and the World Trade Center, so I can't even really begin to imagine. The, the depth of seeing all this stuff. And I want to f- focus on TWA Flight 100, 800. You talked about driving to the scene or pulling parts of the plane out. I remember this. And there was a lot of things in the news. I think the report was initially that they thought a missile was fired at the plane. And that's what took it down and cost all those lives, correct? Uh, yeah. And, and Nelson DeMille wrote a book about it. Uh, there's a lot of theories out there on what actually happened. But I, I saw the plane after they pieced it together, uh, and the metal, the skin, if you will, of the plane was flowering out, which means that the explosion came from within the plane. And, and, and that, I believe, uh, was caused, uh, they, they determined that it was an oxygen tank, and now there are very uh, rigorous regulations on how oxygen tanks can be transported uh, via aircraft. Um, so those are things that you know that that came out after that after that plane disaster. Um, but yeah, when I when I started working there, I was I was just a rookie. I was literally uh, ripped from field training, thrown into you know basically doing security work at the Emmys office because the Suffolk County Medical Examiner's office, uh, not not a, a, a tremendously large uh, facility. But one of the best in the country, these, these medical professionals, best in the country, um, um, aside from the New York City um, Medical Examiner's Office, which probably is the best in the country. Um, but uh, going on from that, based on my, my past training, they had, you know, they had experts, uh, uh, divers from the NYPD and, and from uh, a multitude of other agencies uh, reconstructing this plane, doing investigations, doing the real hard work. I basically was doing security work at the medical examiner's office, and I got to drive the, the chief medical examiner around for a couple of days and uh, ended up working with him in the back. And as they, you know, as they would bring the bodies in, we would check them in, you know, nothing like super crazy, but I was, I actually, you know, it was a privilege to have served with him back there and, uh, uh, got quite the education and, uh, quite the education on how sneaky the media could try to be where they were dressing up as like priests and trying to get in there just to get a story. They were dressing up like priests to get into the medical examiner's office for a news story. Uh, correct. That's, see, yeah. I yeah. know this sort of stuff. You know, this sort of stuff. The vast majority of Americans don't understand how sneaky they are, and they want to be first, and they don't care how accurate or inaccurate the information is. They just want to get something and have some sort of source. So they'll pull anything they can to do that, and it's about making money. Right. Yeah, and it's it's not, I mean, there was no, you know, I mean, the, the ME, of course, showed the ultimate respect both for the 
the remains and for the families. They, they, there were families that, right, were, that right. were impacted. How many people, families how many people perished in that flight? Uh, 200 plus. I don't know the exact number. Right. But so it was over that, 200. And there were lives. a lot of children on that flight. That's the thing that, that gets me, Stacy. Is there's so rushed, there's such a big rush to report. They lose sight of the fact quite often that you've got human lives and a lot of pain and despair for family members and survivors. And you know what brought that home? We'll talk right. about it a little bit later on. Was all the people after nine eleven with the photos? Have you seen so and so? Have you? I still it still tears part of me when I see that. I see old news reports or I see old film footage. I want to go back to TWA flight, mm-hmm. TWA flight 800. All these, and I'll use the term conspiracy theories. How do you deal with them? When you know the evidence, when you saw firsthand what was going on, you were an investigator on scene. How do you deal with people that make these crazy, crazy claims? You know what? I've learned to just not even have a conversation. If you want to hear what I have to say, because I was there. Great. If you want to believe what you want to believe, Knock yourself out. I'm not going to change your mind anymore. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> Life's too short. You know, it it really is. It, it, people have been so basically brainwashed by what's been going on that they'll believe what they see on the TV instead of saying, hmm, that's an interesting theory. Uh, let me look into that. You know, we used to be taught to think for ourselves and and find our own answers. We had to, you remember when we were kids, we oh, had yeah. to go to the library and, you know, look in the encyclopedia for information. We had to research. Now people just click a button and go, okay, that must be the truth because it's on the on I the saw website. it on the internet. I saw it on Facebook. It's got to be factual. Right. And it's not. No, the thing all, is, there's no shortage of people. And so many of these conspiracy theories have been proven to be false, inaccurate. And without going into a lot of details, I have a good friend. He's telling me, listen, I don't pay federal income taxes. I read a book. And I'm thinking to myself, are you out of your mind? Do you know what's going to... It's like the sovereign citizens. Oh, I don't have to do this because I'm a sovereign citizen. And I read it in a book or I saw it on the internet. Yeah. TWA Flight 800. I've seen the reports. I've seen the claims. I still see the people that are rabid about saying... It didn't occur, or it was a deliberate attack by the government for some inane reason. Right. And it, it just, I, my hat's off to you that you are better at containing yourself than I am, maybe because I haven't had to deal with it. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. We are talking with Stacy Goodman. What a story Stacy has. She is a retired police officer from Suffolk County, New York, which is in Long Island. Uh, she had federal disaster training and was drafted into the TWA Flight 800 investigation. Also, the terror attack at the 9-11, 9-11 terror attack at the World Trade Center. We return. We're going to talk more about those incidents, her book, and much more. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Flintstone Media has been the digital messaging bedrock of several brands and businesses, serving as a highly resourceful podcast production house and consultancy firm for over six years. Work with a leader in the industry and add a new podcast to your brand's content offerings. From show development and setup through recording and distribution, Jemmy will lend her experience launching dozens of podcasts and producing over a thousand episodes, making creating your show a simple and easy turnkey process for you. Visit FlintstoneMedia.com for podcast samples. That's FlintstoneMedia.com. Hey folks, when you have a chance... 
check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, click like and follow. That's click like and follow Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Return to our conversation with Stacy Goodman. Stacy is a retired Suffolk County, New York police officer. Also, she had federal disaster training and Red Cross experience, which got her involved in TWA Flight 800 investigation. Also, on scene at the World Trade Center terror attack on 9-11 and for several days after. She's author of the book, The Dust Never Settles. Get more information about her and her book online, Stacy Goodman Book. Stacy, I want to go towards New York, the World Trade Center. Yeah, I've had guests on that were at the Pentagon. We forget that a lot. People at Shanksville, Pennsylvania, I believe it's called, where the, the play went down. We forget about them quite often. Uh, we were dominated, and I don't mean in a bad way, by World Trade Center reports. And I was watching it when it occurred. And a very quick story. I wound up going to New York several years later, uh, and I went by the... The disaster site and there was starting construction there and there was you know, several new york police there doing security details answering questions whatever and i wanted to go up to them stacy and say you know i'm a retired baltimore police sergeant and my respects you know all that sort of stuff and as i approached him i broke down in tears because to this day i still can't imagine losing that many officers that many firefighters that many civilians in one incident i can't wrap my head around that well, if you can't wrap your head around that, try wrapping your head around this. And I don't mean to be sound like, but this is this is this is fact. This is there are more people that have died after nine eleven from nine eleven related cancers and illnesses than actually died on nine yeah. eleven. Yeah, I, 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 and that's I, I, sad. Nobody reports that. No. Nobody talks about that. So and many it, it, of it, these it, first responders sad. that were there. And I don't mean just first responders, construction workers as well, the hard hat crews, all those people. So many of them died of horrible cancers, and they died slow, tremendously painful deaths that had no no respect for their humanity, none whatsoever. Right. Agreed. Yeah, the the, the whole thing. Um, How many years has it been, and I'm still troubled by it? it, It's almost 21 years. This September will be 21 years. I I don't want to belabor that because I might start sobbing. Um, on the radio, and I—it's really not cool when it's grown. I don't cry well, anyway. So you—you had been involved in TWA Flight 800. How did you get involved into uh, pressing the service for the World Trade Center? Well, while I was um, after I had met all these wonderful medical professionals, they invited me to join up with this. Um, at the time, it was under Health and Human Services. It was called DMORT, uh, which stands for another government wonderful acronym. It stands for Disaster Mortuary Operational Response Team, which is mostly made up of uh, medical professionals who uh, basically volunteer their time and their and their skills to assist during man-made and uh, natural disasters. And they go all across the country, you know, for hurricanes and uh, plane crashes and whatever would happen all across the country, and even the world if they were asked. So I got involved, and the government gives you training, and you purchase your uniforms through them. It's a non-paid, it's an all-volunteer, 
So in my unit, I was the only police officer. So I was a, a logistics coordinator since I didn't have any medical training. So my job, I thought, was just going to be to assist the medical examiner in any way, shape, or form that he needed, whether he needed more supplies, I would find out how to get them, or what have you. Do whatever he, he needed, you know, move a table, you know, clean a room, whatever. So when I got activated for 9-11, I got... I got the call and I was asked to pack my bag and respond. So I called up the precinct. Now I was, a, I was still a young cop, had only six years on the job. And I called my sergeant and I told him what I was doing. I said, put me out on vacation time, put me out on sick leave, whatever you got to do. But this is where I'm going to be for at least the next couple of weeks, if not longer. So the department actually continued to pay me. I was granted permission leave where the county executive had authorization. He made an executive order allowing me to get paid and work at Ground Zero as a uh, sort of like on loan to the federal government. So I was actually working with the federal government, uh, a sworn in temporary federal agent, and I was being paid by the police department. And uh, I worked down there with Demort, and my job. I later found out when I got down there was to basically assist the medical examiner. And once they started bringing in the remains, we had set up right on the pile. The, a lot of people ask me what the pile is. The pile was the, the term that was used for the 1.8 million tons of debris that was left after the towers fell. And it wasn't just the World Trade Center towers. 1.8 million tons of debris. And it wasn't just the two twin towers because the World Trade Center was a center of buildings. And uh, uh, the Marriott had a small uh, hotel there. I say small, 22 stories, 23 stories thereabouts, which obviously was, uh, uh, you know, sh shadowed by these beautiful um, towers that were 110 stories each. Uh, so when they came down, it destroyed the uh, um, hotel, which was, I believe, uh, building number three. The towers were building one, two, and it was about seven or eight buildings that were in the World Trade Center complex. So, And how, how long were you we, on scene? I was there for 23 days. Uh, I worked seven days a week, 12-hour shifts. Uh, we broke up into two groups. I was the 7 p.m. to the 7 a.m. shift. They said, oh, you're a police officer. You could do nights. I'm like, I'd never done a night in my, an overnight in my life. I hate I midnight shifts. Enough. I hate midnight <laughs> shifts. I have nightmares about them. But the, the great thing was, because you work in seven days a week, it was very easy to get my body into that routine because it was the same thing every day. It was the same 12 hours. It wasn't like I was off for a couple of days trying to deal with daylight and then going back tonight, it was continual. So it was very easy to get my body into that rhythm. It was very hard when I left to get my body out of that rhythm. Right. But Well, I, I got to ask this, there's really there. no easy way to ask this because a part of your task, your job there had to be to identify the best of your ability and to keep track of human remains. And I, again, I don't know how to ask this, are you able to talk about that? Oh, yeah. Some of it I can talk about. There are certain things I'm not allowed to talk about, but some of that I can talk about. Um, 
just like I had, you know, in, 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 um, doing the book, I had to be very careful. There were certain things that the, the government has forbade me to talk about. So, uh, basically what I, I was sworn in as a, a temporary federal agent. And when they started, we had set up right next to the pile. Um, so when the, the guys on the pile, mostly firefighters, uh, and other workers brought, and police officers, obviously brought remains to us. Uh, they had to be logged in. Somebody logged them in and they were treated with the utmost respect. And I, I'll never forget the first time the medical examiner looked at me and goes, well, this is a federal crime scene and you were sworn in as a temporary federal agent. And at the time, I know this sounds silly. I was like the, the highest ranking you know, like police officer, because I was a, I was a temporary federal agent, so they actually assigned the city lieutenant to me. Uh, I bet that was over that. uncomfortable. We're going to take a short break. We're talking with Stacy Goodman, retired Suffolk County, New York police officer. Also, a lot of federal disaster training. She was uh, drafted to work at the World Trade Center during the terror attack or afterwards. Also, TWA Flight 800 uh, disaster. She's author of the book, The Dust Never Settles. Get more details about her, the book, at her website, stacygoodmanbook.com. This is Law Enforcement Show. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. Missed an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore because now you can listen to it on Podopolo, the free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. If you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. Back to our conversation with Stacy Goodman. Joining us from Arizona, she's a retired Suffolk County, New York police officer with federal disaster training. She was drafted. That's the term I used to work with the federal government at the 9-11 World Trade Center disaster at the terror attack and also TWA Flight 800 disaster. She wrote a book called The Dust Never Settles. Get details about the book at stacygoodmanbook.com. This is Law Enforcement Show. Stacy, I really appreciate you coming on. And talking about this before we went to break, you talked about you're and you you said six year officer and you're still kind of young and all of a sudden you're a, a federal agent temporarily and you are in charge of lieutenants. Uh, I'm sure that was quite awkward for you. I'm sure it was quite awkward for them, but they eventually got the hang of it, didn't they? Yeah, it wasn't like I was bossing them around. We all had a good chuckle. Yeah, they put a city lieutenant under my command, uh, basically to assist me in whatever I needed to better um, help the medical examiner and the, and the team. I wish and the you had videos staff. of that. I'm sure it was fun at the very beginning. <laughs> um, it was one of the lighter points in that, uh, in that whole 
um, situation. I'm glad you used the term lighter because so much of it's heavy duty and there's really <laughs> no way of escaping it. It's Look, you said 1.8 million tons of debris, and in that rubble were bodies and human remains and parts of bodies of people that didn't survive. And your task was to identify and log these body parts uh, and these people. You and I both know that with decomposing bodies, it's it's tough. It's really, really tough. The odor itself, I don't, I don't know how you dealt with it. Well, that was interesting. I found out very early on in my career that those smells didn't affect me as much as they affected some of the other people that I learned after flight 800, um, being around those remains that were, uh, in, in water for, for, you know, a week, two weeks, three weeks. Enough before they were covered. That yeah. That's, that's really bad. Yeah. That, and I found out the smell didn't bother me as much as it bothered some of the other people. So I guess that's a gift, a curse. I don't know what you would call it, but, um, it, it didn't affect me as much as it did some of the other people. I'd say that was probably and, um, a blessing considering what you had to do. And and one of the things I want to focus on, you know, the investigation part of it, I, I quite honestly, I believe a lot of that will, will bore people to, to tears. What they don't understand and what they don't hear about is how do you preserve the the dignity for the human remains when you're doing that? There must have been some, for both incidents, the, some measures you all took to try to make it as dignified as possible. Yeah. Um, and when, when remains were brought in, they were handled with the utmost respect by the, the fire department, the police department, and the other workers that were working on the pile. So by the time they were brought to me, uh, they were brought on you know a, a table or they were placed on a table from a rescue bucket and, uh, we we continued what they started by treating the bodies with respect and and that's what this goes back to what I was saying before about how when you're in when you're seeing an autopsy or when you're with the medical examiner he's a doctor and he he's treating these bodies with the utmost respect i think we got a, we got away recently uh from appreciating medical professionals uh to some degree um but the, the medical examiner, even though he's he's at a different point, he he's treating the body at a different point in life, and he's still doing it with the utmost respect. That being said, what had to happen is when they first brought the remains in, the medical examiner looked at me and he's like, "Well, you're going to have to do preliminary IDs. This is a federal crime scene, and you're a temporary federal agent." So that's when it it was like a it was like somebody slapping me across the face, you know, like. Now I had this tremendous responsibility um, placed upon me. And, you know, I mean, I was up for the task, but that really weighed on me, you know, the importance of what I was doing and, and, and trying to get it as, as perfect as I possibly could. So we, I ended up doing preliminary IDs, which started out with, you know, I mean, do they have ID on them? And can we read that ID? Because basically at the time, they were just going to do DNA comparisons, uh, because we didn't know how the bodies were going to be presented. Right. So we did preliminary IDs that there was, there was, there was somebody there doing, um, very detailed notes. Uh, you know, I would, I would tell the medical examiner if there was ID and then he would dictate it to the, the individual police officer that was, that was making notations. Um, 
on what the preliminary ID was. And then they were, the remains would be sent to the New York City Medical Examiner Office for actual identification based off of our preliminary ID. What they could do is say, okay, if this is John Smith, let me go to John Smith's family. Do you have a toothbrush, right. you know, a hairbrush, anything with DNA on it? Uh, and as you know, you know, 20 years ago, DNA was not as good as it is now. And as a matter of fact, a little point, uh, on the 20th anniversary, they actually match DNA to two more victims. That's what, and they're still trying to find every single last victim. Not, not everybody's been identified. Day. And here, here's one of the things that, that I've, two things actually. Number one, I don't think you ever thought in your life that I'd be doing this and preparing yourself for it. I don't think there's a way to do it. Secondly, and this is the most important, in my opinion, so many people were like, they don't care. They're not letting us know. They're withholding information. And it, it's like, it's a slow, tedious process. It's an emotional process. It's as hard on the first responders that are there. How did you deal with that? Well, basically, when I was down there, I didn't because there was no time. There really was no time. It was 12 hours of work. Then they would shuttle you back. We were fortunate enough to be staying in hotels because after this happened, people fled New York. They couldn't fly, so they rented cars and they went back home. They knew they were going to need extra time to get home. So the hotels were open and the federal government put us up in, in, in one of the local, local hotels. So basically we would, we would, once we were shuttled back after our shift was over, we would get debriefed and then we would have breakfast with our unit. And then basically I just went back to my room, showered and went to sleep. And I'm not going to ask you how you deal be. with the, the conspiracy theorists on that because I already know your answer, which I think is phenomenal. I, I want to shift gears to you decided to write a book about this. It's called The Dust Never Settles. If people get more information, your website StacyGoodmanBook.com. That's S-T-A-C-E-Y, GoodmanBook.com. How long did it take you to write the book? Ten years. I wanted to have it out for the 10th anniversary. Everybody kept saying, write a book, write a book. You have a very interesting life, not just your law enforcement career, but all this other stuff you've been through. So I would, I would start, I handwrite, I handwrote a lot of it. You know, I would write something and then it would hit me. You know, when I put it down on paper, when it became physical, when I was looking at it, 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 it you know, it, it was an emotional drain, so I couldn't, I would put it away, I wouldn't touch it for another month or so, then I would take it out and do some more, and I, then when I, I wanted to have it out for the 20th anniversary, and I knew nothing about publishing a book or anything like that, so I um, found a local guy who's a, um, he's an author himself, he's an, he's an editor, he's a webmaster, he's like, does it all, so I hired him to take my, <laughs> he laughed at me, but I told him I don't like computers. He took all my pages, all my handwritten pages, and there was a stack of them. He converted it onto a computer and he dealt with all the publishing issues because I don't know anything about that. And then he designed my webpage and uh, got that all going. And that's stacygoodmanbook.com. And we're almost out of time. Stacy. It's so much more than just your book. You've got your story, and you do speaking. Uh, can people contact you through your website? Yes, they can contact me through the website. Uh, they can send me an email, and I'm more than happy. 
uh, to do speaking engagements. Um, and if they want to purchase a book, I would strongly suggest they do it through my website. And uh, if they purchase a copy directly through uh, my secure website, through PayPal, I will send them a, a, a signed copy of my book. Stacy, I want to uh, thank you so much speaking. for your service and really for telling your story on the Law Enforcement Show. All very much appreciated. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.